in various ways. First of all, I had the emotional experience of saying goodbye to Sam and Hannah at Heathrow Airport on Tuesday. I'm terrible at goodbye, so I get really upset by those things. And um, and actually, Millie and Adia are of an age now where they do, because they understand what it means that you know they're not going to see grandma and granddad for a long time. So that was really um, tough. And then on Thursday morning, my oldest son at six o'clock rang to say that uh, his wife was in labour with our third child, our third, his third child, our seventh grandkid. So we were kind of rushing round and doing the school runs and all that kind of stuff. And then unfortunately after the baby's born well and little Gideon, but unfortunately she hemorrhaged very badly. And at one point we felt that we were going to lose her, which was a very serious place to be, but praise God, uh, she's doing well again. So excuse me, once I've finished, I'm gonna fly out and go and visit them. So it's been a bit of a, a crazy week, but um, I just, I don't know why I told you that stuff really, because I'm not trying to make excuses for myself. It's just, you just need to know. Um, but anyway, you're supposed to be, I think you are, you know. Um, yeah, well, okay. Well, I've, I've offloaded my stuff, so let's, let me try and teach you something this evening. Um, we're doing a series on Proverbs, and there are a number of themes that, that run through, and I know Tony's already sort of alluded to or talked about the concept of wisdom. But um, equally as important in Proverbs is this, is this concept of the fear of God. Um, so if you have a Bible, we're just going to look at this single verse, um, which is Proverbs chapter 9, verse 10. It is one of the NIV versions. Um, and it simply says, um, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. Um, if you are well read, um, in your Bibles, you, you understand that this concept of, of fear is a very real one in the Bible. Um, in fact, over 300 times does the Bible talk about the fear of God. And it's interesting because when we were kind of shouting out all the nice things about God, nobody said God's to be feared. Um, but there is that aspect of God's character. Now, when we talk about the fear of God, it's actually not that element. It isn't about being afraid of God, but neither am I going to sort of say, oh, I'm going to focus on the fear of God and talk about what it is. You know, we do have to recognize that there is this aspect of God's character um, that is angry. And, and it's not a kind of nice thought that we have. Um, you know, oh, in life, there are certain people, aren't there, that you know not to cross. There's, you just kind of, you know, you're probably married to one of them, perhaps. You know, they're just certain people that you just don't cross. Um, and this idea that, that God is like that, and some people, some theologians really don't like this. In fact, John Stott, in his book about the cross, he has a chapter about, about the wrath of God and God's wrath being appeased by the cross. And he says that theologians don't like this idea of an angry God because, in their view, it belittles, it belittles God. It makes God almost um, kind of barbaric. Um, but in actual fact, the Bible 
teaches that God is his character is almost like a diamond and as you look at a diamond you see different aspects of his character and in God side by side is the love of God and the wrath of God and they don't have to be kept at a distance as far as God is concerned when they sit round the table and if you imagine that that kind of conversation that happened before the creation of the world where God said this is my plan I'm going to create the world I'm going to put people on it I'm going to give them a free choice to follow me or not to follow me and as a result of that sin will enter the world and we need a plan this is before the creation of the world God's plan of salvation wasn't a response to sin it was pre-planned before the world was even created and so you can almost imagine that kind of conference around a big table what are we going to do how can we possibly plan salvation when man isn't either in fact the world isn't even created um, and God's plan is I will I've asked already my son when I've created that world at a given time will you enter it will you lay down your life and will you pay the price for the sins of the world and Jesus has already said he will do it and you can imagine all the kind of different aspects of God's character saying but will we be satisfied will the love of God be satisfied will the justice of God be satisfied will the mercy of God be satisfied will the grace of God be satisfied will the wrath of God be appeased and all of them nodding the head and saying this is the perfect plan so when Jesus went to the cross um, he, one of the things that he was doing he knew that his dad is an angry God and that had God's wrath been poured out on us we would be lost but he knew that Jesus knew that he was the solution for that um, you know Adam and Adam is the only person who became a sinner by choosing to sin every single person since Adam has become a sinner by birth all of us are sinners by birth. Adam wasn't. Adam became a sinner by a decision that he made. But that puts us in a place of enmity. But Jesus came to the cross and paid the price and has appeased the wrath of God. Um, and it's quite remarkable. So we can't get beyond that. That, that concept of um, being angry exists within the bible and it's not an old testament just an old testament concept it isn't that god was angry in the old testament and loving in the new testament he was angry and loving in the old testament and he's angry and loving in the new testament and in our age today nothing's changed in fact if you want to just look very briefly at hebrews chapter 10 <coughs> and verse 26 to 31 so Hebrews chapter 10, verse 26 to 31 says, If we deliberately keep on sinning, after we have received the knowledge of the truth, no sacrifice for sins is left, but only a fearful expectation of judgment and of raging fire that will consume the enemies of God. Anyone who rejected the law of Moses died without mercy on the testimony of two or three witnesses. 
How much more severely do you think someone deserves to be punished who has trampled the Son of God underfoot, who has treated as an unholy thing the blood of the covenant that, that sanctified them and who has insulted the Spirit of grace? For we know him who said, It is mine to avenge, I will repay. And again, the Lord will judge his people. It is a dreadful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. So if there's any doubt that that element of God's anger is still within his character, hopefully that's put it to rest. Um, but of course that would, you know, if, if God wasn't angry, that would suggest that he is prone to change. And the Bible tells us that he's not. So there is that aspect. And, you know, it is a scary thing for anybody to stand before God on the judgment day without a saviour. That is the scariest place to be in the whole world, is to stand when you've died at the judgment seat of Christ without a saviour. It is a dreadful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. And hopefully that motivates us that know Jesus to share our faith with those who don't. Because some people are going to fall into the hands of a living God without a saviour. So, we do need to acknowledge there is that aspect of, um, of God's character. Um, but when we are talking about um, the fear of God, actually we're not talking about that um, at all. So when we are talking about when we talk about the fear of God, what are we actually talking about? Because actually, if you read your Bibles, you actually read that people who feared God were considered to be good people. God-fearing people weren't scary people; they were people who were doing good and right things. You know, right back um, in uh, Exodus, you find, for example, that the Egyptian midwives didn't do what they were told, killing the babies. Why not? Well, the, the Bible tells us because they feared God. So fearing God isn't actually a, a bad thing. And one of the things that we'll see is that actually people who fear God live holy lives. Those things are synonymous together. Um, so in the Old Testament, a lot of the things that we... Um, when we see people fearing God, we kind of recognise that in actual fact, it's not a bad thing. In fact, what we'll see is that we are called as believers to fear God. And one of the characteristics of Christians in this world is that element of they fear God. Um, it's interesting because you don't really hear people say that of Christians very much these days, do you? You don't hear of people saying they're God-fearing. Um, and probably if it was said, it would be said in a derogatory sense. But actually, the Bible says that perhaps the greatest compliment that could be paid around you as a Christian is exactly that, that you are God-fearing, that you are known to be somebody who fears God. So, what does it mean... Um, to fear God well in simple terms it means to love or revere God to such an extent that the possibility of sin 
does not exist. Okay? To love and revere God so much so that the possibility of sin does not exist or reduces over time. Because there is a very clear relationship between loving God and how we live. Now, we're really good as Christians at making this kind of division. It is possible for Christians to have this kind of emotional feeling towards God that has no impact on their behavior whatsoever. But the Bible says that that's not how it is. Genuine love is not genuine love if it does not have an impact on how you see yourself, how you see others, and how you behave. There, in the Bible, there is not provision for an emotional feeling that you can have towards God that allows you to live an ungodly life. It doesn't exist. Now, there is that experience available. Um, I think it comes from the enemy. It certainly does not come from God. Because when we proclaim to be lovers of God, we are saying that our hearts are to please him. That's what love's about. I, I don't know if you've ever had a time in your life where you were so hopelessly in love with somebody. Um, I, you know, I hope you did. I hope you do. Um, marriage is usually the antidote for that feeling, you know. But, um, but was there a time when you were so hopelessly in love with somebody where you couldn't stop thinking about them and you couldn't stop thinking about doing things for them? And I, I am joking about marriage because I'm hoping that marriage isn't the end of that. I hope it's not the, you know, um, I put all my effort into getting her, now I've got her, I can relax. Um, I hope it is still that, there is that passion about how I feel for that particular person. But when you've had that feeling, <coughs> it affects a, how you think, you can't stop thinking about that person. You wake up thinking about them. You go to sleep thinking about them. You just cannot stop thinking. And you get to that place where your mates will say, will you shut up about her now? Will you just shut up about her? Yeah, we get that you like her. We get that you're infatuated by her. That's all very nice. But will you just give it a break? Because all you're doing is talking about her, thinking about her, and then... You know, you're not coming to football anymore because you're with her. You're not, you know, your whole behaviour's changed. You're not a lad anymore. You're not one of us. Everything about your love has changed. Well, in actual fact, that's what, what the fear of God is supposed to be like. The fear of God is to be so hopelessly in love with God that our mind is constantly preoccupied. Now, of course, the real test of, of who you love is, is always this, is work out what you think about the most. And whatever you think about the most, that's what you love the most. Um, usually, it's ourselves. You know, usually that's what we think about most, is we think about ourselves. 
And if you could do a little pie chart and you you do your how much you think about your wife, how much you think about you know your kids, how much you think about yourself, it's quite telling. But the fear of God is that being deeply in love with him. It's that reverence for him that is manifested in love that changes your behaviour because what you begin to think about is you begin to think about how can I bring pleasure to the one that I love the most and what would I have to avoid in order to avoid upsetting them? Because again, those of us that are in relationships, hopefully we're at that place in our lives where we are aware of the things that will hurt our partners and we stop doing those things because there's no pleasure in hurting the ones that you love. And that's what the fear of God wants to do within us. It wants to create that love for him and a dislike for sin. So it is that kind of <coughs> dichotomy, if you like, between loving God and hating sin. In um, Psalm 128, verse 1, first of all, we read, Blessed are all who fear the Lord, who walk in obedience to him. There is a link between the fear of God and being obedient. There is a clear link because fearing God is about loving God and what we know God takes pleasure in is when his children walk obediently. We also know it breaks his heart when his children do not walk in obedience, when they do sinful stuff. And you know that you are growing in the fear of the Lord when your love causes you to think more about what will bring pleasure to God and brings you to that place where you begin to avoid those things that you know break his heart. In Psalm 33 and verse 8 we read, Let all the earth fear the Lord, let all the people of the world revere him. Um, and then, Back to Proverbs again. In Proverbs 8 verse 13, we read, Proverbs 8 verse 13, To fear the Lord is to hate evil. I hate pride and arrogance, evil behaviour and perverse speech. So the fear of the Lord is to hate evil. Because um, that's what God does. You know, if there wasn't evil in the world, God wouldn't have had to send Jesus to the cross. God hates evil because he knows the damage that he does to us. And God loves us. You know, and just like, um, you know, we are with our children, it, it breaks our hearts when our children are hurt. You know, when, when Caris is in that deep place of, of, of needing prayer and stuff, it really, really distresses you. And God wants us to be holy because he knows that holiness is the state that he created where we function best that's what holiness is that's the place where god wants us to be not because it's um 
you know, taken away fun or life out of people. It's like, honestly, if you want to flourish, get yourself into a place of holiness because that's where you will flourish the most. And a place of sin is where you are damaged and diminished the most. And when you are fearing God, you are saying to God, where can I, how can I get myself into that place where I am walking righteously? Because walking righteously develops me. And it's that, you know, being in that healthy place. Um, it's funny because sometimes, you know, most of you know that I was a head teacher. I'm not anymore, but I was. And I used to do endless assemblies. And, and certain assemblies just seemed to hit the mark. And you don't know why. But I remember kids afterwards talking and saying, that assembly really kind of made me think. And I did an assembly about the difference between um, marigolds and walnut trees. Um, and I know you're thinking, oh, I wish I was there. That sounds so exciting. You know, but... Um, and I'm not really a kind of horticultural sort of person. I have to read this stuff out of books. But anyway, there is a difference between marigolds and, and walnut trees. Marigolds are really good at nurturing. Um, they're, you know, if you want to nurse a little plant that you want to grow, put it in a bed of marigolds and they will look after it. They're beautiful marigolds. They are caring, compassionate, kind, giving. Um, and that little plant that you put in, it'll be flourishing within seconds. But walnut trees, if you and you know, if you go home and Google it, you'll see it's true. If you look at the bottom of the base of walnut trees, it is they are completely and utterly devoid of anything around them. Nothing grows near a walnut tree. And it's done purposely because the walnut tree sends out these toxins into the soil, which discourages anything from growing there. So if you look at pictures of walnut trees, they are quite impressive trees, but there's nothing that grows at the base of a walnut tree. Um, and so my message was, you know, are you going to be a marigold or are you going to be a walnut tree? You know, and, and actually it did have an impact because kids had come up to me and they'd say, today, Mr. Stock, I'm going to be a marigold. Thank, thank you very much. Um, you know, but are you going to be a marigold? Are you going to be somebody that, that creates life? Um, but equally, are you going to be in that place? That, that encourages life within you. You know, are you going to be in the bed of marigolds, you know, with those lovely nurturing little flowers? Are you going to try and grow by a walnut tree? You know, the fear of God wants to bring you to a place where your love for him has an impact on how you behave because your behaviour, first and foremost, is in your best interests. <clears throat> you know, if the whole church was completely and utterly holy, God's delight would not be boasting and saying, I have a beautiful holy church. God's delight would be, my children are now in the best place that they can be for themselves. That's what God's mindset would be. It wouldn't be, look at me, look how beautiful my church is. God's view would be, as a father, I have now got my children to a place where they are growing and they are in the best place for themselves. Because that's what holiness is. Now we have um, sometimes difficulty with the concept of holiness because it, it often has that connotation of saying no to stuff. But it only has the connotation of saying no to stuff that's bad for you. It's not all that difficult, really. It's about... The fear of God 
wants to drive you into that place of utter love for God, utter devotion, so that as you are at the feet of your Heavenly Father, you look him in the eyes and you say to him, what can I do that will bring you pleasure and what can I avoid that will create displeasure? That's what the fear of God's about. It's about bringing you to that place of real love and devotion. Now, it's quite interesting, isn't it, that talking like this, um, we are always using the phrase the fear of God because it almost kind of seems a little bit kind of contradictory, but it's not. It is about um, our motivation being done. And if you can... If, God, if you will allow God to create with, within you, we don't often pray this, a hatred for the evil that we do, we would stop doing it. You know, because by nature, we do what we love and we avoid what we don't like. You know, one of my real dislikes in life is sweet corn. It's, and I've only ever had it once and I don't want to denigrate a very precious person but it was Marjorie Topham that gave me it um, and I hate the stuff I, I, oh, it's horrible no honestly it's horrible um, I've done all sorts of research which I'm not going to share with you but there aren't many foods that enter your body and leave exactly the same but sweet corn does um, it does nothing for you it's horrible and actually I, I, I as hard as it would be, if somebody offered me a million pounds, I'd have a go. I'd have a go at it for a million quid. I'd have a go at it. But I don't think I could do it. Um, so when somebody puts sweet corn on my plate, it's quite easy for me to say either, um, do you mind if I don't eat that? Actually, the thing about in every school canteen that I've ever been in, they put sweet corn in everything. Every single, even pizza. You know, sweet corn's there, uh, and I'm really good now at picking it out and moving it to the side of the plate. But but I don't eat it because I don't like it. Um, and generally speaking, unless I'm forced to do something by a greater power, generally speaking, I do not do the things that I don't like doing. Um, if I have any choice in it, sometimes I don't have a choice in it. But if I if I have a choice in it. I don't do it, you know. So I have some choices. I, I choose to go and watch Bradford City. I would never choose to go and watch Leeds. Sorry, Jack, you know, but, um, but I wouldn't. But, but unless I was forced, and then I'd have to do it. But we, we don't do what we don't like doing if we have any choice in it. And what God wants to get you to that place is where evil and sin and doing the wrong thing you have a dislike of you have a distaste for it does not taste nice it doesn't it just doesn't feel nice and that's what the fear of god is intended to do it is intended to create such a love for god and such a hatred for evil that you stop doing the things that are wrong and it's lovely because God's method of winning us round and creating holiness is always love. Although we're talking about the fear of God, one of the things that, that I believe distinguishes our faith from any other worldview is God's love for us and God's strategy that he will win us through love. 
I think that marks us out as being quite different. In fact, when we were in uh, Nepal with Sam and looking at the, the Hindu religion, I know one of the pastors there constantly says to you know, Hindu worshippers, um, and does your God love, love you? And did he lay down his life for you? And of course they say, no, our God's always really angry with us. Well, it's like, yeah, our God can get angry with us too, but our God loves us. Our God loves us so much that he went to the cross for us. God's strategy is always love. And, he, you know, he could, by his power and his might, create a holy church by overriding people's free choice and creating holiness through power. But God's method is not that and has never been that. God's method is love. And I just think in heaven, the angels must be constantly saying to God, how do you do this? How do you keep on loving um, a disobedient people? But such is the love of God. But God wants to win us to holiness, not through fear, not through coercion, not through a demonstration of his power. God wants to win us to holiness through his love. He wants to get us to that place where we know that when we become before God, we have to be in a place of holiness. That's what always kind of strikes me when I come to church on Sunday and worship is that that, that time that I have to spend to get myself right, to come before God into his, into his presence. But God's strategy is always to love you into that place. And he wants you to fear him. He wants you to love him. He wants you to revere him. He wants you to respect him. He wants you to be so in love with him that you are consumed with what do I next do to please him and what am I going to avoid that will bring him pain? And that's what the fear of God is. Um, that's what Proverbs and Psalms are constantly calling us to do is to fall hopelessly in love with God so that we are, our thoughts are consumed with thoughts of him and our behaviour brings pleasure to him. That's what the fear of God is. That's why it's the beginning of wisdom. That's why it's about understanding. You know, get the fear of God and you are in such a strong place as a believer. I believe that, that God-fearing people, genuinely God-fearing people, are pretty unassailable from the enemy. Because the enemy's strategy is always to offer you something you haven't got. But when you are God-fearing, you are completely and utterly satisfied by him and in him. And you become unassailable. And if you read Proverbs, and if you pick up those verses about the fear of God, what you discover is that it constantly says that we are in a strong place when we fear God. And the final thought is just, you know, if you haven't got the kind of message already, is that final um, exhortation. If you look at Ecclesiastes chapter 12 and verse 13, if you know Ecclesiastes is a book, you know it's this constant kind of conversation about life and the futility of life and the meaning of life. And right, <coughs> right at the end in Ecclesiastes chapter 12 and verse 13, this is what the conclusion is. It says, Now, 
All has been heard. Here is the conclusion of the matter. Here's a con- what is life about? What is the meaning of life? Here is the conclusion of the matter. Fear God and keep his commandments. For this is the duty of all mankind. You know, the writer in, in Ecclesiastes says, having debated the meaning of life, this is what it's about. You know, and sometimes people joke about, you know, have you got the answer to the meaning of life? Well, we have, actually. Um, and it's here. The next time somebody says to you, have you got the uh, answer to the meaning of life? Just say, yeah. This is the conclusion of the matter. Fear God and keep his commandments. And that's what God wants for us. He wants us. It is a great compliment to God when he has a God-fearing people. It is a great compliment to God, and God loves it. And if people don't like that phrase, and if they think it's a bit derogatory or whatever, whatever, it, it, to God, it's a beautiful sound when it is said that this group of people are God-fearing. This people love me so much, their thoughts are consumed with me constantly, and it affects their behaviour so that they always do what pleases me. And they always avoid what displeases me. That's the fear of God. You know, and it's a it's a beautiful experience. God will not impose it on you, He will not force it on you. But I tell you what, there is a work that the Holy Spirit wants to do in your life where the Holy Spirit will come on you on the inside through sanctification and make you into that place, help you become into that place where you so love God and you hate evil. Um, and that, I'm really excited about that because that means it, this is possible. It's only a prayer away. It's only, God, would you begin that work in me of so creating a love for you that I would hate evil. Um, and notice, you know, it's very clear, hate evil. It's not going to make you going to hate people. It's going to make you hate evil because it's a horrible thing. It destroys our relationship with God. It destroys our relationship with each other. So we're going to sing a song. And I'm just going to pray and, and just say, God, I'd like to take that first step of moving towards the fear of God. It is a process. There is no Holy Spirit experience that you can have right now that will make you totally and utterly God-fearing. Sorry, if you were hoping I was going to pray one of those, um, I'm not. But I am going to pray a prayer that would at least get you on that first step. Or if you are on that path of holiness, would get you a bit further this evening. But let's um, sing first of all. And then after we father that the motivation for the cross for yourself for Jesus was because you loved us so much and we thank you father that your word sends clear that message for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son we thank you father that everything that you do is motivated by love and father God we know that that's your intention that having saved us you intend us to be a people who are holy who walk in fear, who are consumed with love for you. And that love is not just an emotional bit, 
It's something that changes our behavior, that causes us to walk in righteousness, to make the right decisions, and to avoid those things that we know will um, do harm to ourselves, but do harm to our relationship with you. And Father God, we pray that you'd help us by your Holy Spirit. Father, for people that perhaps have never really started that journey of sanctification, I pray that this evening you would create that sense of love for them. And Father, for those people that have perhaps had times when they were so um, consumed with love for you, um, but not so much now, I pray, Heavenly Father, that you would rekindle that flame again. Yes. Father, I thank you that we, yeah. we step off the path, but you always want us to get back on the path with no recrimination. No, you just want us to get walking again. And so, Father God, for anybody that has been in that place previously, they can look back to a time when they were so in love with you, but not now. I pray, Heavenly Father, that you would create that within them. And for those people that are, um, are just in a good place with you, I pray that you would just reassure them um, and reaffirm to them to keep walking, that having walked well for so long, keep walking, keep loving, keep avoiding evil. Father, we thank you that that's our duty. Um, is to fear you and to be obedient. And we pray that that would be our testimony this week, that we would be victorious in the way that we live and that we'd live lives that bring glory to you. In the name of Jesus, amen. Amen. God bless you. I'm going to dash, but God bless you.